Alrighty, so today is the big tax reform day. It finally has passed through Congress. Your taxes will go down. The Democrats moan in lamentation. We will talk about all of it. Plus, I sort of face-planted Rosie O'Donnell on Twitter, and it's hilarious. So we'll talk about all of that. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Yes, I am back from Florida, where I had a great time talking to the college students over at TPUSA, one of my favorite student groups. And it was, uh, it was a blast. I also met Donald Trump Jr., which, uh, nice to meet you, Don. Uh, so that was kind of fun. Um, but I, I have a lot to talk about today because it's a big news day. And it, of course, starts with this massive tax reform package that has now passed the Republican House and the Republican Senate. President Trump is set to sign that into law formally, probably after Christmas. They have to work out a few more kinks, I think. And then he's going to sign that into law. So that is a big move. I'm going to discuss everything that is in this tax reform package I'm going to recount the entire saga in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Helix Sleep. So I had a really good trip to Florida. There was one thing that did not go particularly well. That was my sleep pattern. My sleep pattern was a giant fail. One of the reasons that my sleep pattern was a giant fail is because I did not have my Helix Sleep mattress. Helix Sleep offers something that does not exist anywhere else. It is a mattress personalized to your unique preferences and sleeping style. It will not set you back thousands of dollars. Go to helixsleep.com Ben. You take their two to three minute sleep quiz. They ask you sort of your body type. Do you like sleeping on your side or your stomach? Do you want the mattress to be firm or soft, breathable or heat absorbent? And then they will build a custom mattress for you. It'll be the best thing that you have ever slept on. My wife and I actually had a more expensive mattress in our room and we moved it out of our room in favor of our Helix Sleep mattress. It's being recommended by all of the top magazines out there. Your custom mattress arrives directly to your door and you it's in the box, you unpack it, it inflates, and then it's ready to go. And you can try it for 100 nights. If you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund it to you in full, refund you the full amount. Go to helixsleep.com slash Ben right now, helixsleep.com slash Ben, and you will get 50 bucks toward your custom mattress. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben for 50 bucks off your order, helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use that slash Ben also so that they know that we sent you. And sleep better because this is one of those things where you invest a little bit of money in your mattress, less than you would if you went retail, and, uh, and you will end up making your life significantly better. Okay, so today dawned amidst a cacophony of howling dogs mourning their dead masters. Men, women, children killed in a mass senseless slaughter by the passage of tax reform. The Republicans just said that they wanted to lower taxes, but Democrats knew, the media knew, that if this tax reform package were to go through, then it would be like the walking dead. Zombies would wander the earth, just dead bodies stacked up in cars on the highways. That's exactly how it was this morning, traveling back from Florida. You know, I was the only person on the plane. I had to fly myself. The airports were deserted. Everyone was dead. I don't even know who's listening to this program now. I don't even know if there's anyone to listen to this program. Austin over there is an animate corpse, just making this show happen from behind the screen. And this is what they had warned about. Now, the amazing thing is that I didn't know that everyone could be killed again since everyone was killed by net neutrality repeal a week ago. But apparently, death can be died a thousand times. And so everyone's dead from net neutrality repeal and repeal of the Paris Accords and all the rest of it. And now everyone has died again. So, you know, I guess finally there's time for me to read just like Burgess Meredith in Twilight Zone, you know, it's, it's been very weird inhabiting this afterlife because it's so similar to regular life. The only good thing is that Justin Bieber doesn't have any new good songs in this afterlife lately. So that's been, that's been excellent. But otherwise, it seems very similar. And I will admit that now that I'm dead, I feel a peculiar desire to head over to Chicago and vote Democrat, uh, which had not occurred to me before. But suffice it to say, this is me being sarcastic because not everyone is dead. No one died, in fact. In fact, your taxes just went down. If you are 80% of Americans, your tax went down today. So here are the things you need to know about this historic tax reform bill. 
And it really is historic, okay? It's historic because it is a massive reduction in the corporate tax side. Everyone's focusing on the individual tax side. The part that really matters is the corporate tax reform. Okay, so you're gonna get a little bit of money, little bit of money back. Not insignificant, you'll get a little bit of money back on your taxes if you are in the middle class. The average tax cut, uh, the average family, the average household is supposed to receive, according to the Tax Policy Center, a tax cut of about 1,600 bucks in 2018. An average household earning a million bucks or more would see a tax decrease of approximately 70 grand compared to 870 bucks for households making 50 to 75 grand. That's because people at the upper end of the tax spectrum are paying nearly all the net taxes in the country. It's not because the Republicans just decided to benefit the rich. It's that if you reduce rates for the rich, they are getting back a lot more money because they're making a lot more money and they're paying a lot more money. Okay, this isn't the biggest tax cut in history, but it's not insignificant. The idiotic idea that apparently 50% of Americans believe that you're going to pay more tax because of this bill is just stupid and it's because the media have been lying to you. The media have been saying this is a redistributionist bill from poor to rich. Absolutely untrue. Now, here's the thing. The individual tax decreases sunset. Okay, so in 2025, the individual tax decreases are supposed to go away, but in all likelihood, they're going to remain. The reason they're going to remain is who actually wants to vote openly for tax increases. Democrats are probably going to maintain those middle-class tax rates. The reason that Republicans had them sunset in 2025 is because one of the budget tricks that has to be done here is if you want it to pass in the Senate with 51 votes, which is how many votes it got, if you want it to pass in the Senate with that number of votes, instead of 60 to kill a filibuster, then the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, has to rule that the bill will be deficit neutral. So the bill is deficit neutral, according to the CBO. That's because of some gamesmanship by Republicans. That's not rare. Okay, here's the thing about the corporate tax rates, and here's the case no one's going to make. Corporate tax rates go down. That means companies can afford to give raises, that they can afford to actually create jobs. And the early evidence of this is today, AT&T announced that it would give a $1,000 across-the-board bonus to everyone, thanks to the tax decrease that now that this corporate tax rate has been reduced, they will give a $1,000 bonus to everyone. Right? That's a pretty amazing thing. Now, some may say that this is a cynical ploy by AT&T to basically give the Trump administration a good headline so that Trump will, will allow the AT&T-Comcast merger to go through. I'm not going to say that that sounds right to me, but it sounds exactly right to me. Still, the corporate tax rate dropping is a good thing for business. And the proof that it's a good thing for business is that in every other country where the corporate tax rate has been dropped precipitously, what you see is significant GDP growth. The most obvious example is, is Ireland. Ireland actually has a 12.5% corporate tax rate. So it's become a sort of business haven for corporations that want to do business overseas. And they've seen high sustained growth thanks to that healthy business climate. In 1995, they actually had a corporate business tax of 40%. They dropped it to 12.5%. And they've seen 23% GDP, GDP growth since compared to 7.2% GDP growth from 1960 to 1995. So over the course of 35 years, they saw 7.2% GDP growth. Then they moved the, the corporate tax rate down from 40% to 12.5%. And over the last 27 years, they have seen a 23% increase in GDP. So this has also been seen in countries ranging from Germany to Spain. When you reduce the corporate tax rate, it makes it easier for other countries, for, for, for companies to invest in the United States. They no longer are trying to organize as offshore companies. There's also, in this bill, a big increase in the child tax credit. That child tax credit is truly a redistribution scheme because a lot of people who don't pay taxes are getting the child tax credit, but it's backed by a lot of Republicans because they think that, that families with children have higher expenses and, and we ought to give them benefits. I am actually, as the father of two children, I'm not really in favor of the child tax credit on a strictly libertarian viewpoint. I don't think the government 
should be giving you incentives to behave in certain ways. And I don't think anybody is having kids for the tax credit. I don't think it's just, you know, oh, well, you know, before I wasn't going to have a kid. Now I'm getting 2000 bucks back. I suppose I'll have the child. Kids are a lot more expensive than that. The average cost of a child from the time they're born till the time that they leave the house at 18 uh, is hundreds of thousands of dollars. But still, this is something that looks good in the headlines for Republicans, that they're trying to help out families. That's why Marco Rubio pushed it. There are a few people who will be paying more in, in income tax. That includes me, which makes me sad. Uh, tax reform includes reductions in tax deductions for state and local taxes. So people in high tax states like California, they're reducing my taxes uh, through the tax rate, but they're increasing my taxes because the deductions are not even close to what I'm going to be paying in my state tax in, in the state of California. Plus, the mortgage interest deduction has been decreased markedly. You can now only take a mortgage interest deduction up to $750,000 loan. In the state of California, pretty much everybody who owns a home has a mortgage that is bigger than that. Uh, itemization has been downsized. So instead of you having to itemize every deduction, they've doubled the standard deduction. So a lot of people no longer have to itemize because you're only deducting, you're only doing itemized deductions if you want deductions above and beyond the standard deduction. Now the standard deduction has been doubled. So that means that itemized deductions are probably going to go the way of the dodo bird for a lot of folks. That's great. It means that you don't have to hire an accountant. You can now fill out your taxes on the back of a postcard. The individual mandate is gone. So this is a major win as well. Right? The tax bill uses the death of the individual mandate to reduce deficits. How? Why does it reduce deficits when you get rid of the individual mandate? when people are supposedly being forced to pay into the system. The reality is that because of the individual mandate, because you are forced to go get health care, people have gone and registered with Medicaid. That costs millions and billions of dollars to the federal government. Fewer people are going to register for Medicaid because they're not mandated to do so. That means the bill goes down. Now, is this entirely a good thing? Well, it would be entirely a good thing just on the surface of it, right? You no longer have the federal government forcing you into a position where you must, must, must do this. However, it's not good for one reason that I'll explain in just a moment. And the reason that the individual mandate leaving may not be the world's greatest thing is because if the individual mandate goes away, you have to fill the gap for all of the sick people who are still in the individual insurance market, right? The way that we were filling that before is we were basically forcing young, healthy people to buy insurance. And that was driving the rates down in the individual insurance market. They were basically paying to compensate a bunch of old sick people in the individual insurance market. Those rates are now likely to go up some. And that means that the federal government is going to have to make a choice. Either they're going to have to remove the Obamacare regulations, which would be the ideal, or they're going to have to fill in, backfill the funding insurance companies lose because of the individual mandate. That, unfortunately, seems like the way the federal government is going. It seems like Republicans are going to be voting, basically, for a new... It looks like the Republicans are going to be voting for a new entitlement program, which is not a grand and glorious thing. Uh, so I want to give you the rest of what's in this tax bill. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Birch Gold. So despite the fact that the stock market is soaring, despite the fact that the economy is going supremely well, despite all of that, I think that it is, uh, it is necessary to point out that the economy can always tank at any time, right? Everybody thought the economy was going gangbusters in early 2007, and then it tanked on you. One of the reasons that you ought to diversify and ought to have some money in precious metals is because of the risk of an economic downturn, which could be brought about by anything from a public event to a, a foreign policy event. I'm not saying take your entire portfolio and put it in gold. That'd be foolish. But I am saying take some of your money and put it in precious metals. And when you choose to do that, 
go to my friends at Birch Gold Group. They have a long-standing track record of continued success with thousands of satisfied clients, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And right now, they're giving away a comprehensive 16-page kit showing how gold and silver can protect your savings, how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds and into a precious metals IRA if that's something you choose to do. Right now, if you're looking at Bitcoin and saying, wow, Bitcoin is doing really well, that's because Bitcoin is basically a controlled asset. They're not making any more Bitcoin. That's the whole purpose of it. Gold basically performs the same function in the global market. To get your no-cost, no-obligation kit, go to birchgold.com slash Ben. That's birchgold.com slash Ben. Check it out. Ask all your questions. Then when you're ready to invest, talk to my friends at birchgold.com slash Ben. Okay, so let's talk about the rest of what's in this bill. So they're now opening the Anwar to oil exploration. The Anwar uh, is not Anwar al-Awlaki. It is the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. So there's a portion of Alaska that has been ruled out of bounds by the federal government for the last couple of decades. It should have been opened up a long time ago. The part that they want to drill is very small. It leaves a small footprint. And the idea that it was going to destroy the environment in Alaska is utterly untrue. Supposedly, there are reserves under there that are about the size of Saudi Arabia, possibly. So drilling in the Anwar would be good for America's domestic oil reserves. Uh, this is a good thing. The one bad, the, the, the worst thing about this bill is that deficits are going to increase, right? The, the Republicans have said that we'll grow our way out of deficits. That will be true to a certain extent. It won't be true to the point where it will cover for, for, the, for the government revenue hole that's been blown uh, in the budget. But that's why Republicans should be focused on cutting now, right? Republicans should actually use this opportunity to cut. Now, I know Republicans just want to win elections. But what that leads to is big government. Right? It leads to a battle between big government Republicans and big government Democrats. And both of them end up blowing up the deficit. If Republicans actually want to make a difference, they're going to have to take up another priority of Speaker Ryan's, and that is Medicaid reform, Medicare reform, block grants to states. All of these are things that the Republicans are going to have to do. Okay, so all of this said, it's a good, I, I like this bill. I think it's a good bill. It's not a perfect bill. It has things that I would change about it, but it is a fairly typical and very positive Republican tax bill. People have lost their damn minds. They have gone absolutely insane over this. So yesterday at the Capitol in the middle of the vote, there was a, uh, a group of protesters who started chanting about how the bill was going to end in their imminent demise. The actual medicine is not produced here. It's produced in Ireland because... The chair has detected a disturbance in the gallery in contravention of the law and against the rules of the House. The sergeant-at-arms will identify the person or persons responsible and have them escorted from the House chamber. So the, oh, these idiots are up there shouting, kill the bill, don't kill us. And apparently one of them decided to take off her top, which, I mean, you should understand she's in Congress, right? Like in Congress, like the same Congress that houses half the sexual perverts in America, she just incentivized Congress to pass a tax bill every single day. I didn't see a picture of the lady, but I assume that, you know, if she is of the female persuasion and has breasts, then half the congressmen in the place uh, are, are excited about that, that form of protest. That seems to be counterproductive. But kill the bill, don't kill us. I mean, it just demonstrates the extent to which the left has lost its mind. One of the people who's lost her mind, obviously, is Rosie O'Donnell. She didn't have much of a mind left to lose, sadly. But Rosie O'Donnell tweeted this out. She tweeted out, so how about this? I promise to give $2 million to Senator Susan Collins and $2 million to Senator Jeff Flake if they vote no. No, I will not kill Americans for the sewer rich. She meant to write super, but she can't type. It's S-U-O-E-R, rich. DM me, Susan. DM me, Jeff. No bleep. Two million cash each. It's like E.E. E. Cummings for the mentally deficient. So well done there, Rosie O'Donnell. This, by the way, is uh, technically under federal law bribery. So under 18 U.S.C., I believe the, the actual statute is 18 U.S.C. 201B, 
It says, quote, whoever directly or indirectly corruptly gives, offers, or promises anything of value to any public official or person who has been selected to be a public official, or offers or promises any public official or any person who has been selected to be a public official to give anything of value to any other person or entity with intent to influence any official act shall be fined under this title not more than three times the monetary equivalent of the thing of value, which, uh, whichever is greater, or imprisoned for not more than 15 years or both, and may be disqualified from holding any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. So she's openly offering $4 million to Republican senators for them to change their vote, which is bribery under federal law. She's doing that in front of, apparently, 32,000 likes. So that, that, you know, I guess she must be willing to pay $12 million to the federal government. I said earlier, if President Trump tells Jeff Sessions to initiate a prosecution against Rosie O'Donnell, they will begin carving his face into Rushmore tomorrow. Right? I mean, he will immediately move to the list of the nation's greatest presidents if he initiates prosecution against, Hillary, against Rosie O'Donnell for, for bribery. So I tweeted out, half-jokingly this morning, lock her up, lock her up. And Rosie O'Donnell got mad, and she tweeted back at me, suck my bleep, Ben, which doesn't make sense for a variety of reasons, as far as I'm aware. And so uh, I tweeted back at her, you're already a felon, Rosie. Don't be a homophobic sexual harasser, too. And then I followed up with hashtag me, too. So that, that's, that is my A-plus troll game right there, gang. That is, that is, the, the, the troll is strong with me today. Uh, so Rosie O'Donnell, uh, yeah, just making a fool of herself, as always. Uh, and she's not the only one who's going nuts. The Democrats, of course, are going completely nuts as well. The House passed the act, and Paul Ryan brought out the giant gavel. Uh, he brought out the, the enormous gavel. I guess they have this giant ceremonial gavel uh, that they bring out for important occasions and also for sex parties. And so Paul Ryan dragged that sucker out of storage when Nancy Pelosi stood there with the giant gavel when she first became speaker, and she had a bunch of children she hadn't aborted standing around her. He brought that out of storage, and he was whacking that on the, on the, pan, on the, uh, on the podium as they passed it. Here was the video of them passing this thing in the House yesterday. On this vote, the yeas are 227 and the nays are 203. The conference report is adopted without objection. The motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. Okay, so that is a big win for Paul Ryan. It's a big win for the House. It's a big win for the Republican Senate. And it's a big win for President Trump. It is a big win for President Trump. Without this win, he does not have a signature legislative achievement his entire first year. Right? Without that win, the biggest things that he's done this year are Justice Gorsuch and, uh, and the movement of the embassy to Jerusalem and the filling of the appellate judges. I talked in the last podcast about all of the things that I think Trump has done right. But this is a signature achievement in his first year, and he needed one, right? For Obama, he had several. He had the Lilly Ledbetter Act, and then it took a year and a half, but he got Obamacare. Uh, he had passed the stimulus package, which was really his big achievement in his first year. Uh, George W. Bush passed tax cuts, I believe, uh, in the middle of year one. So Trump needed this. He needed it pretty badly, and he deserves to be able to celebrate about it. Paul Ryan says this is a profound change to the tax system. Here's what he had to say. This is one of the most important pieces of legislation that Congress has passed in decades to help the American worker, to help grow the American economy. This is profound change, and this is change that is going to put our country on the right path. Okay, so the Democrats, of course, went completely nuts because their basic belief system suggests that you don't own your own money, right? That any tax cut to you, you keeping more of your own money, is actually theft from the federal coffers. And this just it demonstrates the, the genuine disconnect as far as what Republicans and Democrats think 
in terms of where your rights come from. The government, the Democrats believe that your rights come from government. Your right to have property is because the government has allowed you to have property. If it weren't for the government allowing you to have property, you wouldn't have property, right? This is the Elizabeth Warren, Barack Obama view that you didn't build that, right? Your property rights are based on a government that makes those property rights available to you. The Republican notion, the conservative founding notion is that property rights predated government, that government was instituted in order to protect those property rights, and that if the government violates those property rights, it has lost its raison d'etre. It's, it's lost the reason for its existence. So you can see this gap in the way the Democrats talk about this. So Nancy Pelosi went up there with a giant yellow sign that says, hashtag GOP tax scam, and says that raises taxes on 88 million middle-class families. That is a lie. It does not raise taxes on 88 million middle-class families. There is, I, I don't know where the hell they're getting that statistic, but there's no evidence whatsoever that that is the case. Says 83% of the benefit goes to the wealthiest 1%. Okay, that is because the wealthiest 1% are paying a wildly disproportionate share of the taxes. And it says it results in 13 million more uninsured Americans. That's a lie too, because getting rid of the individual insurance mandate, what that does is it allows people to opt out. You can still buy insurance, right? You can still get, go get covered by Medicaid tomorrow, right? You can go tomorrow. If you're eligible for Medicaid, you can go get covered by Medicaid. What it means is that the vast majority of people who are going to be dropping out don't want to bother with doing these things, and so they haven't bothered to go buy insurance, and they, they shouldn't be forced to. But in any case, here's Nancy Pelosi saying that this, this tax plan is theft. How, how is it theft? I, honest to God, I don't understand how it's theft for me to keep more of my own money. This GOP tax scam is simply theft, monumental, brazen theft from the American middle class and from every person who aspires to reach it. The GOP tax scam is not a vote for an investment in growth or jobs. It is a vote to install a permanent plutocracy in our nation. They'll be cheering that later. Okay, they'll be cheering the, 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 the plutocracy later, the, the, the theft. Again, the plutocracy is centralized government stealing your money and using it for whatever purpose Nancy Pelosi wants to put it to. The idea that it is a, it is a theft for the government to, to not take money out of my pocket is it's beyond reasoning. It's beyond reasoning. And that's not the only dumb thing that Nancy Pelosi had to say, right? Nancy Pelosi had to say something even more dumb. And here's what Nancy, here, here's the, here's, in, in one second, I'm going to play you the incredibly stupid thing that Nancy Pelosi had to say. So here it is. Nancy Pelosi, this is clip 19. Nancy Pelosi says that not only is this, a, is this a tax theft, not only is it creating plutocracy, it betrays what the founding fathers would have wanted. It does violence to the vision of our founders. It disrespects the sacrifice of our men and women in uniform, who are a large part of our middle class and to whom we owe a future worthy of their sacrifice. And it betrays the future and betrays the aspirations of our children. It betrays the future and betrays our past, the founding fathers. Does she understand that the reason that we fought a revolution is because no taxation without representation? It was literally the slogan of the revolution. Is she aware that one of the reasons people were mad is because Britain kept putting taxes on all of the imported goods, right, with the Stamp Act and the Tea Act? Like, is she aware of anything remotely re related to American history here? Like, the founders would have hated our tax regime. The founders didn't even believe in an income tax. Like, we had to pass a constitutional amendment to allow an income tax, one of the worst constitutional amendments in American history. Right, it's, it, it, by, I would say easily, actually, the, the worst constitutional amendment in American history, even worse than prohibition, was the, was the income tax. But this is just, it's beyond, it's beyond reason. The Democrats have made up an alternative history in the of the United States in which Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and John Adams and James Madison and Alexander Hamilton were all giant government, centralized government people, which is just patently insane. 
You know that if you listen to the show, we go through a Federalist paper every Monday. Have we yet come to the point where we say we need a federal government to suck up all the resources and redistribute them? Has that ever come up in the Federalist paper? It has not, nor will it ever, even when we get through all 80-odd Federalist papers. Right? It's just not going to happen. So uh, she's not the only one saying dumb stuff. Chuck Schumer, the, the Senate majority, minority leader, still minority leader, thank God, he says that the public knows this bill is bad. And here is where the, the rubber hits the road. We're going to talk in a second about whether this bill really is bad for Republicans, even though it is a politically useful thing. They don't want to discuss it. They don't want to have it have sunlight shed on it. They don't want anyone to know what's in it because it is so, so bad. And the public knows it. Okay, it is so, so bad and the public knows it. So the polls show this is a wildly unpopular tax bill. There are a couple reasons for that. One, the media are just awful. The media are just awful. Their, their treatment of the tax bill has been completely unfair. The AP ran a headline after it passed saying, massive Republican tax giveaway to the rich. That was in their headline. Okay, that level of bias is just bizarre and insane. CNN plastered its front page over at CNN.com with anti-tax reform messages. It was all over the media that this tax reform was the end of the world, that millions would die. It was, it was something that we should all be deeply worried over and deeply upset about. None of that was true. It's why 50% of Americans think their taxes are going up, even though their taxes are going to go down. So part of that is the media. Part of it is that Republicans are incompetent at pitching this thing. You know, President Trump, uh, he, he gets credit for passing this thing, but it would be great if the president would spend a fair bit of time explaining, for example, why the corporate tax rate needed to drop. Right? That would be really excellent. I'd like for him to tax, uh, I, honestly, I'd like for him, use Twitter for good effect. I'd like for the president to tweet out the European corporate tax rates and then the American corporate tax rates. Because the average European corporate tax rate right now is 18.43%. We just brought our corporate tax rate down to 21%. We brought it down by 14%, and it is still higher than the average European tax rate, corporate tax rate. President Trump really should do a public relations blitz. It's a big victory for him. So now he should use all of the power that he has to bring cameras to him to discuss tax reform and use Twitter that way, right? Because otherwise, you know, we don't need another fight with LeVar Ball. But what we do need is a solid public relations campaign. And this is Trump's specialty. Right? Trump's specialty is the PR campaign. It's what he is best at in life. So I'd love to see him put that to good effect here, put that to good use. That, I think, would be an excellent thing. So I'd like to see the president of the United States uh, do that. Um, also, the Republicans kept pitching this thing in terms of individual tax rates. None of them have ever bothered to explain why corporate tax rates going down is better. And the reason corporate tax rates going down is better is because that money can now be used by the corporation to hire more people, to invest more, to, to pay their workers more, to give people raises. Republicans should be making that case loudly and proudly, and they should be saying every Democrat opposed this. Your taxes went down, and every Democrat opposed this. But unfortunately, the Republicans have not done a good PR job. Now, the problem is this. When you have an unpopular bill and you pass it, even if it's good for Americans, it's pretty rare that an unpopular bill gets wildly more popular over time. Right? That, is not a, that, that is not a usual thing to happen. Obamacare was very unpopular when it passed. It was in net negative territory. I think it was 59% by one poll. 59% of Americans at the time of the passage of Obamacare disapproved of Obamacare. And it really never recovered. It was always an unpopular law. Uh, the only point of popularity came when Republicans tried to get rid of it and the media went on a full-out blitz. But it's pretty rare for a bill to get more popular over time. Even if it does get more popular, it's not going to be forefront of the public's imagination. You make a case for the bill while you're passing the bill. You don't make the case for the bill after the bill has passed. The reason for that is it fades into people's woodwork, right? I mean, you have other things to worry about now. This week, we're talking tax reform. Last week, we talked tax reform. The week before that, we talked tax reform. By the time you pay your taxes, you've probably forgotten about tax reform. 
You just sign the check and you're done with it, right? That's what you do. Your accountant handles it for you. So this is, this is sort of the problem. The, the Republican Congress does not know how to do a public relation blitz. President Trump does, but he hasn't done it yet. I wish they'd been doing it for the last month. They should do it now. The fact they had to rush it through is going to be picked on by the media. And now every piece of fallout from this bill is going to be used to club Republicans to death over it. So Republicans had better shape this thing in the public imagination right now, not just wait for the inevitable time when Americans realize tax cuts are good. That, would be a, that, that I think, would be a, a very big mistake. Again, if you look at the polls on, on, on tax cuts historically, then what you see is that the Bush tax cuts were, were significantly more popular than the Trump tax cuts. Part of that is because of Trump. Part of that is because of the media coverage. In fact, these tax cuts, because of the media coverage, are actually less popular than some tax hikes have been. Okay, so here is the, the, a good rundown on the polling numbers. This is uh, from 538.com. The Reagan tax cut in 1981 had a 25% plus 25% differential. 51% approved, 26% no. The 2001 W tax cut, 12% plus 12, right? 49 to 37. The extension of the Bush tax cut in 2010 had a, had a 12% positive upside, 54% approved. The extension of the Bush tax cuts too in 2013, that had a 7% net positive rating. The Bush tax cuts too, right, in 2003, that had a 6% positive rating. The Reagan tax cuts too in 1986, that had a 4% positive rating. The Clinton tax hikes, of 93 had a negative 10% rating, 44% disapproved, only 34% approved. The H.W. Bush tax hike had a negative 11% approval rating, so 52 to 41 disapproved. And the Trump tax cuts are 14% underwater. That is largely because of the media. It is also because the Republicans have done a piss poor job of selling their bill. They need to get out there and they need to sell that bill because bills don't get more popular over time, even when people feel the benefit of it. Democrats will pay, by the way, when they try to raise the taxes. But remember, they're not going to have to actually try to do that until 2025. They can just sit there and, and let it go all the way till 2025 and then wait to see what happens. Okay, so as we continue in just a second, I'm going to talk about the media bias and how the media bias plays in because it really is truly astonishing. I want to show you some clips of members of the media and how they have responded to these tax cuts. It is beyond the pale. So here we go. Let's begin with Savannah Guthrie. So Savannah Guthrie over at NBC News, uh, she was questioning Paul. Uh, she was questioning Paul Ryan, and Ryan is talking about the tax cuts and what kind of good they're going to do. And Savannah Guthrie literally asks him if he is living in a fantasy world on national television after they passed a massive Republican tax plan. The problem is, as a lot of CEOs have said, really candidly, I'm looking at a list of CEOs who said, we don't plan to reinvest. What they're planning to do is to do stock buybacks, to line the pockets of shareholders. Let me quote Michael Bloomberg, a billionaire, hardly an enemy of business. He said, CEOs aren't waiting on a tax cut to jumpstart the economy, a favorite phrase of politicians who have never run a company or to hand out raises. It's pure fantasy to think that the tax bill will lead to significantly higher wages and growth. I'll ask you plainly, are you living in a fantasy world? And what the hell kind of question is that? Are you living in a fantasy world? What is wrong with you? Would they, ask, would they ask Obama this? Did they ever ask Jonathan Gruber this or Obama during Obamacare? You say that if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Every doctor in America says that's not true. Every single one, pretty much. Are you living in a fantasy world? Was that ever asked? I mean, you want to see media bias in action. That right there is media bias in action. Then you wonder why the American people have a bad opinion of the bill. It's because of people like Savannah Guthrie who are doing the job that the Democrats have been attempting to do for years. And Savannah Guthrie isn't the only one. Katie Turr, in the, in the aftermath of the Republicans voting to, to pass the bill, 
she is talking with a, with a GOP representative, and she throws out the suggestion that the reason that Republicans are passing this thing is that they can pay less personally in taxes. She's talking to Dave Bratt, the Republican from Virginia, the, the Tea Party or extraordinaire. And here is Katie Turr going after him and suggesting that it's just because he is, uh, that he's rich that he wants to pay it. What's the median household income of your district? Uh, it's right about 60. We have it at 73,000, something around there. What, what, are, what are you making, if you don't mind? What, what's in your bank account right now? In my bank account? Well, what, that, what tax I, bracket are you, are you going to be under under this bill? Well, of course, I, I got the chart for you here. I'll be uh, probably in the 24% bracket. 24% there, Everybody bracket? can go look up their rates. Okay, Republican Congressman yep. Dave Brown. And what are you at? What are you at, Katie? Because I want to make sure you do well too. I don't know. I haven't taken a look at it. You don't know? Republican. I'm also oh. also not a lawmaker, so I'm not involved in, in 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 marking up you're this bill rail. or selling it to the American people. Well, like we'll you check are. out what you're making Republican too, Katie. So it's fair and balanced. Dave. Good, good, good for Dave Bratt right there, because the fact is that when they ask Dave Bratt that, that he's lowering his own taxes, that's why he's doing this thing. That it's not a principled thing. It's just. The entire premise of the question is so sick and messed up. The entire premise of the question that she is asking right there is the only reason that you would want taxes decreased is not because you think it's better for the American people or your constituents or the economy. It's because you personally are seeking to benefit from the tax bill. Right? But, but all those Democrats who are rich, they're just men of the people. They're just patriotic. Those are great patriots. Michael Bloomberg, great patriot. But you, Dave Bratt, you are a cruel, inhumane man because if you make a lot of money, that means you don't care about people. I was for tax cuts when I was making 60 grand a year, and I'm for tax cuts when I make a hell of a lot more than $60,000 a year. I, I was for tax cuts when I wasn't earning anything and I was a student. Because ideologically speaking, speaking just based on my understanding of economics, tax cuts generate more revenue by putting more money in my pocket that I can spend as I see fit. Beyond that, I'm for tax cuts because it's my money and it's your money and I don't have a right to your money. But this implication that's being put forward by the media, that Republicans are like, Trump's only doing this because he wants a tax cut. Are you freaking kidding me? Donald Trump is worth billions of dollars. Even if you don't believe he's worth 10 billion, he's probably worth at least two. Okay, you think Donald Trump is sitting there right now thinking to himself, yeah, you know, I really need to give myself a tax cut. That's top of my priority list is giving myself a tax cut. Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? All these Republican legislators, they're sitting around thinking, yeah, you know what? By the way, if you want to get rich in Congress, the easiest way to get rich in Congress is not giving yourself a tax cut. The easiest way to get rich in Congress is through insider trading. It's by knowing which bills are going to pass, and then you buy stock in particular companies knowing how the bill is going to impact that company. Peter Schweitzer showed this in, in one of his books a, a few years back where he talked about corruption in D.C. This notion that, that Republican legislators are only doing this because they're so evil is just absurd. By the way, I'll bet you Katie Turr is making a lot more money than Dave Bratt. If I had to bet on it, I mean, Dave Brand, I believe, was a college professor. If he's in the 24% tax bracket, that means he's not making, I mean, he, he's making decent money, I think. But, I, but the idea that he's making all sorts of cash uh, is, not actually, is not actually the case. So, I'm gonna, you know, I want to look that up because I, I would guarantee you that Katie Tour is making a lot more money than Dave Brad. So, yeah, if Dave Brad is in the 24% bracket, that means he's making between $82,000 and $157,000, right? If he's in that bracket, by the way, then that means that he's probably only saving three, four thousand bucks. Okay, he's not saving 50 grand. Katie Turr, I, I, I'll have to look up Katie Turr's contract. Let's see if she's paid millions. I'll bet, I'll bet Katie Turr makes a lot of money. I'll bet, I'll bet that she, she makes three times easily what, what Dave Brad is making. If not, then she, then she needs to renegotiate her contract. So that's, uh, that's absurd. And you're seeing this across the board, this media coverage. Like NBC, MSNBC, gave airtime to a healthcare activist. What did this healthcare activist do? Well, he's battling ALS. 
and he waited outside Lindsey Graham's office in order to yell at Lindsey Graham over this because Lindsey Graham and the Republicans voted to get rid of the individual mandate, the most unpopular aspect of, the, of Obamacare. And so they put him on MSNBC, and he talked about how Lindsey Graham ran away from him. I said, Senator Graham, he was talking about John McCain, his beloved colleague, who, like me, is dying of a brain disease. And he was talking about John McCain. And I said, Senator Graham, will you talk to me for a minute about this bill? And he ran away into a place where I'm not allowed to go as a civilian. I know that NBC and MSNBC have footage of that. You could try to find it. He ran away. And that exemplifies that moment. I was there with Megan Anderson, a woman who's almost totally paralyzed. That moment exemplified how Republicans are treating this legislation and treating the American people. They are afraid to see our humanity. And if they were- Okay, nonsense. This is, again, a cheap media setup. Okay, I objected to it when Piers Morgan did it on gun control, and I object to it now. The idea that your philosophy of governance has to change because you're now meeting somebody who is suffering from a particular condition is just asinine. It's just not true. It's, the, it's in effect the same thing as Jimmy Kimmel taking his baby out every so often and holding up his baby and saying that he knows about healthcare now. Policy is either good or bad. It is not good based on whether you can have a discussion in front of cameras with a guy who has ALS and an agenda. I feel awful for that person. Of course you feel awful for people. That doesn't mean that the policy they're espousing is bad. And you know how that exchange is gonna go, by the way. The way that exchange is going to go is that Lindsey Graham will walk up to the guy, have a cordial conversation. The guy will refuse to hear what Lindsey Graham is saying because he comes with an agenda. He's not there for an honest conversation. He's there for the photo op. And then when Lindsey Graham says, you know, it's been nice talking to you, and the guy refuses to shake his hand because Lindsey Graham has, is voting for something the guy doesn't want, the media blow it up. Oh, this, watch this courageous man suffering from ALS take Lindsey Graham to the woodshed. If I, if I were Lindsey Graham, I wouldn't engage in that conversation either because it's not worth it. Right? Where's the, where the public relations upside and where's the win? You're not even having an honest conversation. It's not like this guy actually wants to discuss with Lindsey Graham. He wants to lecture Lindsey Graham. But this is the game the media are playing today. So just like the homeless reappear every eight years when a Republican takes office, right? it's like Groundhog Day. Every so often the homeless just pop up on your screen and that only happens when Republicans are in the White House. So the same thing happens with regard to taxes. We never talk about tax increases and how they're gonna hurt the American people. We never talk about government spending and deficits and how they're gonna hurt the American people. We only talk about these things when it comes to Republicans. And that's only so that the media can carry out their, their crusade against tax cuts altogether, which is just, it's pathetic. Now, will, will Trump benefit from this? You know, this, this does change the math. I got an email yesterday uh, from, from somebody who was asking me, you know, you graded Trump last week and you gave him an overall grade for his presidency of like a C minus. It must have been, I think that was probably a couple of weeks ago. I don't think it was last week. It was probably a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, uh, and I gave him an overall grade of C minus based on his policy and his rhetoric. And he said, you've been pretty glowing about him in the last couple of weeks. And the answer is yes, because I'm getting the things I want, right? That was always my math. My math was always, is the president doing conservative things? The last three weeks of President Trump's governance have been some of the most conservative weeks of governments that I have ever seen, period, from any president. I'm pretty young, so the last Republican administration I remember was Bush. Uh, he was not as conservative as Trump has been in the last three weeks, for sure. Uh, and so this has been a very good three weeks of governance. It's very important governance, too. So that means that I raise Trump's grade from a C minus on the year to a C plus, which is a pretty major shift, right? I mean, that, that shifts him almost a full letter grade in the last three weeks of the year. The only reason that he's not doing better than that is because his approval ratings are bad, because Republicans are running really far behind in the generic congressional ballot. They're, about down, they're down 18 points in the latest poll. One of the 
one of the things that Trump has to do here, as I spoke about the other day, it's very important now that now that Trump is actually pursuing conservative policies, he represent conservatism well, because otherwise all of those conservative policies will be rolled back. Right? It's very important that he represent my view well. Right now he's a representative of my ideology when he's actually acting in consonance with my ideology. I want to see him represent that ideology well, just as an American. I want to, you know, it's, it's, it's like watching the Olympics. You want to see people wearing the American flag do well. Trump is now wearing the conservative flag and has been for at least the last three weeks on governance. And that means that I want to see him represent that well, do well uh, in the polls because of it. Uh, I want to I see conservative governance become more popular, not less popular. I don't want his personal unpopularity to drag down the good policy he's been making. I would like to see his popularity increase on the back of that good policy. And that means some discipline. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, please have some discipline about your messaging. I think that you've won some major victories. Even the media are going to have to recognize that you've had a major upswing in the last month of your presidency with regard to policy wins. You have some momentum going into next year. Do not get distracted. It's the holiday season. Celebrate it with your family. Shut down your Twitter for Christmas. Shut it down for the next three weeks. Make the left go mad. Make them go mad. Right? Starve them of your tweets. Right? The left are waiting for you to give them some distraction from the loss they just suffered. They're waiting for an excuse to go off on you. They're waiting for an excuse to go crazy. Don't watch TV. Turn off your TV. Have yourself a Shabbos. Right? Have yourself a Shabbat. Right? One of the things that's nice about my life is that every Friday evening to Saturday evening, I just shut down, right? There's, there's no cell phone, there's no internet, there's no TV, and it's great. You deserve a rest, Mr. President, is what I'm saying to you. I mean, I wish that you deserved rest on Twitter the entire year, but now you really do deserve a rest because you've gotten some stuff done. Bask in the glow of having a major piece of legislation passed. Let the media feed on itself. Let the media eat itself. Let the media fulminate over what is a very typical Republican tax bill. Let them look foolish. Let them stew in their own juices. You have the upper hand right now. Don't blow it. Don't blow it. Because now there's actually, there, there's a, and, and here's the thing. Republicans are more likely to follow you, Mr. President, if you don't blow it. And if you, if you actually start to boost your own approval ratings, Republicans are more likely to come around on some of your other policy priorities like immigration. And please, for the love of God, don't, don't try to tackle DACA. That would be a mistake. Okay, we're going to continue in just a second. But first, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you can become a subscriber to dailywire.com. You get the rest of my show live on video. You get the rest of Andrew Clavin's show live on video. You get the rest of Michael Knowles' show live on video. You get all of these wonderful things. Plus, you get to be part of the mailbag. I thought it was Thursday. Sadly, it is not. That's Friday is the mailbag. So Friday, we'll be doing the mailbag. You get to be part of that live. Uh, and when we have our conversations, our Q&As, then you get to be part of that mailbag, too. You log into Daily Wire, you go over to the, the live chat window, you ask questions, and we read them right off. So you get to do that, which is pretty cool. The Shapiro store is coming in the new year. I know I've been promising that for a year, but it's actually going to happen. Like President's Trump presidency, uh, it's going to get started with the good stuff soon. So the Shapiro store is, uh, is going to be happening. So check that out. If you want the annual subscription, you get all of those glories for $99 a year. Plus, you also get this giveaway, the Leftist Tears Hot or Cold Tumblr. This will make your... Christmas or Hanukkah complete. Today's the last day of Hanukkah, so if you want to buy some belated Hanukkah gift to it, Christmas has not yet happened. So make sure that you go and put this under somebody's tree uh, with a with a free with a, a free tumbler with your your gift subscription to your family and friends. So check that out, uh, or listen later on SoundCloud or iTunes. We have a big YouTube video, a Christmas YouTube video coming out in the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, you will want to see that. So subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. <laughs> Alrighty, time for some things I like, some things I hate, and then we'll do a little bit of Bible talk. So things I like, uh, yesterday I did Gunfight at the OK Corral, uh, and today I'm going to do another movie with a signature tune. 
And this, uh, and I, I think I'm going to try and stick to westerns with signature tunes. Uh, but uh, this is the uh, this is High Noon, of course. This is Bill Clinton's favorite movie. A lot of uh, a lot of people on the right objected to this being Bill Clinton's favorite movie because the entire plot surrounds a sheriff who is basically left alone by the town to defend the town against a bad guy. And a lot of conservatives said, well, that's really not how towns work, right? That's actually, a pr if Clinton viewed himself as the lone hero striding into history, that's not good for the presidency. The movie, however, is quite good. Gary Cooper plays the sheriff. Uh, Grace Kelly plays the, the uh, woman in his life who is a, uh, she's a Quaker, I believe, uh, and she refuses to participate in violence. Um, the movie is, uh, is pretty compelling. It's very small scale. It is very tightly edited and tightly crafted. Uh, here's a little bit of the preview. Gary Cooper, a man who is too proud to run. The judges left town, Harvey's quit, and I'm having trouble getting deputies. People gotta talk themselves into law and order before they do anything about it. Maybe because down deep, they don't care. They just don't care. I think you better go while there's still time. It's better for you, and it's better for us. Amy. I mean it. If you won't go with me now, I'll be on that train when it leaves here. I've got to stay. Why must you be so stupid? Well, have you forgotten what he is? Have you forgotten what he's done to people? Have you forgotten that he's crazy? Don't you remember when he sat in that chair and said, you'll never hang me, I'll come back. I'll kill you, Will Kane. I swear it, I'll kill you. A terror so the song is, the, the, the title song uh, is very famous, of course. You know, Do not forsake me, oh my darling. It's, it's very, very famous in Western history. Uh, High Noon, great movie, worth watching. Check that out over the weekend if you, if you have time. Okay, other things that I like, I have, I've, I have to admit, I cannot stop laughing at the fact that Ta-Nehisi Coates and Cornel West are now going at it. Cornel West, of course, a radical black activist. Ta-Nehisi Coates is a slightly less radical black activist. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates fancies himself in the mold of James Baldwin. Uh, Cornel West fancies himself in the mold of Malcolm X. Uh, both of them are, um, both of them uh, have a, a rather racially separatist view of American politics. And uh, Cornel West wrote an entire column where he says, Ta-Nehisi Coates' We Were Eight Years in Power, a book about Barack Obama's presidency and the tenacity of white supremacy has captured the attention of many of us. He says, Coates and I come from a great tradition of the black freedom struggle. He represents the neoliberal wing that sounds militant about white supremacy, but renders black fight back invisible. This wing reaps the benefits of the neoliberal establishment that rewards silences on issues such as Wall Street greed or Israeli occupation of Palestinian lands and peoples. He says, the disagreement between Coates and me is clear. Any analysis or vision of our world that omits the centrality of Wall Street power, U.S. military policies, and the complex dynamics of class, gender, and sexuality in black America is too narrow and dangerously misleading. So it is with Ta-Nehisi Coates' worldview. He says, Coates rightly highlights the vicious legacy of white supremacy, past and present. He, past and present. he sees it everywhere and, every, and, and ever reminds us of its plundering effects. Unfortunately, he hardly keeps track of our fight back and never connects this ugly legacy to the predatory capitalist practices, imperial policies, or the black elite's refusal to confront poverty, patriarchy, or transphobia. In short, Coates fetishizes white supremacy. He makes it almighty, magical, and unremovable. So this is kind of hilarious. Ta-Nehisi Coates is now being ripped by Cornell West, and Richard Spencer, the white supremacist, is agreeing with Cornell West against Ta-Nehisi Coates. And now Ta-Nehisi Coates has suspended his, uh, he has suspended his Twitter account in response to all of this. Uh, Cornell West is not wrong, by the way, that, 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 that Ta-Nehisi Coates sees white supremacy hiding under the bed. It's just that Cornell West is even more of a Marxist than he is a, a, a racial conflagrationist. So watching these sorts of infights 
uh, is uh, entertaining to say the least because both of them are wrong, just in, in slightly different ways. The other things that I like, um, so I just had to laugh at this. So President Trump has now been entered into Disney's Hall of Presidents. Uh, and uh, let's just say it is not good. It does not look like President Trump. Do we have any video of this? 35 simple words that have been repeated by every American president throughout history. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Okay, there's only one problem with this. Okay, the best of my ability, there's a big problem. Preserve, there. Protect, uh, and that is that. Um, look at that picture of Donald John Trump. Look just at the face. Forget the hair. Whose face is that? That's Hillary Clinton's face. It really looks a lot as though Disney made this doll of Hillary Clinton and stuck Trump's hair on. <laughs> Turn it male and stuck Trump's hair on. It doesn't look anything like Trump. I mean, it's, this one goes in the. You know, I, I have a great love for bad sculpture, and this one goes in the bad sculpture Hall of Fame. So well done, Disney. Uh, putting Donald Trump in the Hall of Presidents is in and of itself highly entertaining. So that's pretty spectacular. Okay, time for um, a quick thing that I hate. CNN's Chris Cuomo, uh, who he's got to be the thickest guy on cable TV. And that's saying a lot. There are a lot of thick people on, on cable TV. And I don't mean that as in like the, the rap sexy thick. I mean like dumb. Uh, Chris Cuomo, uh, Chris Cuomo, uh, was criticizing President Trump's drinking technique. Like, this is what we've come to now. So President Trump, during a speech, he reaches over and he picks up his glass of water, and he does it in a weird way. He doesn't just pick up the glass and drink it. He takes it with both hands, kind of sips it, and then puts it back down. And this turns into a four-minute segment on CNN. The president reached for a glass of water during his national security speech, and Twitter took note. It has led to comparisons of how the president needs to use two hands, apparently, to drink from a water bottle he did that during the speech last month and then again yesterday. The waterworks with the president started. Oh, the waterworks started with the campaign, of course, when he poked fun at Senator Marco Rubio for pausing mid-sentence for some water. But this was an even smaller glass yesterday where he used two hands. I believe last time you called it the baby grip. Well, that is the sippy cup grip that you're using there right now. It is a very good one. I don't get all the hands thing in the glass. You know, I don't, I don't know what it's all about. I mean, you this, drink from a this, vase. This is what I drink out wow. of. I drink out of them, and I hold it like a man with one yeah. hand. But that's, you know, that's, that's me. Right, that's you. And you I don't just think have it's a giant judgment. Certainly not one of our cups. biggest concerns. You want to hold a cup with all your hands? You know, you, that's what you do. What a genius he is. The sippy cup grip. So this, this, and then you wonder why Trump says fake news all the time. This is why Trump says fake news. Not because it's fake, that that's a weird way to grip a cup, but because, like, why is this on the news at all? Like, Twitter is a, is a funny place, and there's lots of funny stuff on Twitter. I engage in it on a regular basis, but um, I'm not really certain that this is appropriate CNN commentary. Okay, finally, let's do a little bit of Bible talk. So there's a lot of talk from the left today about how it is unbiblical. It is just terrible that we are not talking about centralizing government. Centralized government is, is, is dedicated, like, God wants government to create the, te the tendency for fairness. So this is a section from the book of Judges. Um, I believe it's chapter eight of the book of Judges. And talks about the rule of Gideon. So Gideon was of course a prophet in Israel and he leads his men in a fight against uh, the Philistines and, uh, and other groups that are, that are oppressing the Israelites. And here's what it says. It says, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us both you and your son, also your son's son, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said to them, I shall not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Right, which is a pretty astonishing statement. 
The Bible is at best ambivalent about monarchy, like really ambivalent about monarchy. Moses warns that it's not going to be good. Samuel, Shmuel warns in, uh, in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel. Uh, we call it Shmuel Aleph in Hebrew, which is why I hesitate on the English translation. Uh, in, in Shmuel Aleph, Samuel gives an entire lecture to the people about why it's going to suck once they appoint a king. And you have this in the book of Judges where Gideon says, rule yourselves, basically. Don't have a centralized government that rules over you. The idea of a theocratic government that is centralized from the very top uh, is not really well spelled out in, in the Old Testament at all. And it's not spelled out well in the New Testament either. I mean, the idea of uh, render unto Caesar in the New Testament is very much reflective of the basic Jewish idea of dina de malchusadina, which literally means the law of the land is the law. And that insofar as it doesn't conflict with the law of God, you have to obey it. What's fascinating about this section with regard to Gideon is not just that he says that he's not going to rule over the people, that they have to rule themselves, that God is going to rule over them. He says, I would make a request of you that you give me every man the nose ring of his spoil, for they had golden nose rings because they were Ishmaelites, and they said, we shall willingly give. And they spread out the garment, and every man therein threw the nose ring of his spoil. And then Gideon takes all of these rings, and then he makes an aphod, which is a breastplate, uh, and he sets it up in his home city. And it says, and all Israel went astray after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon into his house. The importance of this, the reason this matters, is when a group of people decide to collectively pool their labor and make something, you have to be very careful they don't begin to worship the thing that they make. And this is true of the American government. We're very proud of our, of our government. We're very proud of our system of government. We're proud of Washington, D.C., the big buildings and how pretty it is and all this. But it's very easy for us to start worshiping the thing that we have made with our own hands and to suggest that it has some sort of outsized power even though we are the ones that made it. And to suggest that people in the future need to throw their nose rings into the, into the pot as well. That's not the way the American government was meant to be built. It's not the way that, that it even was in the Bible. There's a reason the Bible says that this becomes a snare to the leaders. It becomes a snare to the people. Collective, collective action must be taken from time to time, but the key there is from time to time. Okay, we'll be back here tomorrow with more notes on all the fallout. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Mathis Glover. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2017. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 